Hello and welcome to The Stishing, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Derek Healy and on this very special episode we'll be taking a look at the resignation of Boris Johnson and what might happen next. I'm joined by our live politics reporter Justin Bowie and two of our fantastic journalists and columnists, Lindsay Bruce and Sean O'Neill. Now, I know what you're thinking, isn't the Stushy supposed to be on summer recess? Oh yes, but unfortunately, just like the Prime Minister, we're just no good at goodbyes. This is the week that Boris Johnson finally bowed to pressure and quit as leader of the Conservative Party. He's also got one foot out the door of number 10 Downing Street, but for now plans to carry on as caretaker until a new leader is elected. The problem for Mr Johnson is he seems to be just about the only person who thinks that's a good idea. So we could be looking at another confidence vote in the Commons, and there are even talks of a general election. Basically, things are still very much up in the air. Justin, I know you were watching as it was happening live this week. It wasn't your typical resignation speech. What did you make of it? Well, this was a pretty extraordinary resignation speech, to be honest. It was. It felt quite unprecedented in British politics. I mean, I'm unsure that Boris Johnson even said the word resign once in his speech. It, he admitted that he was going to go, that he would step down as leader of the Conservative Party, but then it almost turned into a campaign speech where he talked about the good that he believes he's done in government. He then talked about this idea of the herds that had forced him out after senior cabinet ministers resigned and after a lot of senior figures who had previously backed him started to turn on him. There was no contrition, there was no sense of regret or sorrow for the things that he has done for the scandals that have engulfed his government. It was all still very much in campaign mode. It almost seemed like in denial that it was the end of the road, even though that was essentially what he was admitting will happen down the line. However, he is still formally in power and we don't yet know if he's going to be able to stay in the role until, say, September or October, whenever a new leader is picked, or if they will force him out beforehand. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be Boris Johnson, would it, if he followed all the standard rules of a resignation speech? Uh, and in fact, there were reportedly concerns, I think, that uh, you know wh- about whether he would even read out what was written down on the page for him. Uh, in the end, as you say, it was a it was a pretty bullish affair where he railed against the herd mentality in the Conservative Party uh, and seemed to suggest there was more that he actually planned to do. I have to say, I think it's hard to think of a prime minister who had less of a defining mission in politics than Boris Johnson. So goodness only knows what those plans could have been. Uh, and co- of course, he, he summed it all up in, in one simple phrase, them's the breaks. Uh, Sean, talk me through what you were thinking when you, when you heard that speech. I think um, Justin touched on it there when he said, uh, did he even say the word resign once? Um, it was hard to place it as a resignation speech as you were watching it. It sounded like a guy who knew at that moment in time he had to say something, but was possibly looking further down the road for for some sort of comeback that he might um, be able to make. I think he called the decision by the MPs eccentric to force him out because uh, there was so much work that he still wanted to do. Justin said there was no contrition, no remorse. It was just kind of blamed his own party for, for, for what had come. And yet, I think it's quite Boris Johnson-esque to... He's left. He said he's left, but we don't know if he's actually left. It kind of sums up his whole premiership of he said one thing, but but do we believe it? 
I mean, it was fascinating to watch him appointing cabinet members when we knew that a resignation was going to come. I mean, that's not really the actions of someone who's getting ready to, to walk out the door, is it? Um, Lindsay, you wrote what I thought was a really powerful column for us uh, on your own personal circumstances during lockdown and what was so infuriating for you to read about the Partygate scandal. I know a lot of people had to go through uh, some, some really difficult times during the pandemic and I definitely wondered what they would make of it, uh, you know, the kind of language that you used. Um, saying them's the breaks and, and even that, that reference to herds uh, when we know that herd immunity was one of the factors that stopped the government locking down at the start of the pandemic and potentially costing tens of thousands of lives. How did you feel watching on? It was really interesting to watch because on the one hand you had Carrie with the baby smiling at the side and everybody hugging and like like it was this, you know, it was like a moment in history and then on the other hand, you have Boris coming out and not actually saying anything significant. Like, didn't, did he say resign? He didn't show any remorse. He didn't actually even, he didn't actually even acknowledge the things that, that had got him to that position, which shows that it's a man who cares about himself and not even his party's politics, because that would have been his chance to say, there has been regret, I've made mistakes, but this, you can trust the Conservatives. You know, he, he didn't say any of that. And, um, you know, I, I just felt really... I didn't have any sense of okay, this is good. He's now out because I don't. Is he even out? Is he still there? What is he doing? Um, and so I didn't have any sense of yeah, okay, we can draw a line under all the hurt, all the pain, all you know, everything that went on with the, the pandemic. And do you think that will be shared by you know members of the public, obviously after after what they've been through over the past couple of years, um, who may have been looking for a bit of closure here? Do you think they will share that same kind of feeling? Okay, I think it's good that he's not the prime minister. Um, anymore. I think it's good that a known well, I mean look, it's not a plot twist that a known liar has been lying for most of the time he's been in, in power. And so I don't think anybody will be surprised that we are where we are. But um I certainly have a little bit of closure in the sense that I feel really hurt by him. I think in the column I wrote that, you know, I found myself crying watching Prime Minister's questions um one week when he was talking about Partygate. We we had to bury a friend on the day when he was having his um, bring your own bottle party and I was doing cancer treatment on my own in hospitals um, with, with no support because um, we were following the rules. And so I don't know that we'll ever get full closure from that. But yeah, I think it's only right that this known liar is, is now no longer um, the man up front, even if he is refusing to go for the time being. I think that's one of the interesting aspects of all this. Obviously, it was it was the Chris Pincher affair that actually brought his kind of tenure or looked like it was going to bring his tenure to an end. But of course, we all know there was far more than that. I mean, the, what laid the groundwork for this was it was the Partygate scandal, and you know this was just a repeat of some of that same behaviour that we saw of sending out ministers to defend policies and actions that they knew were indefensible, and um, basically kind of trotting them out to to pad at the party line and cheapen themselves and cheapen the offices that they're in. Um, Justin, our, our team spoke to some of our local politicians to get their reaction to the news that, that Boris Johnson seems to be on his way out. Um, talk us through some of, of what they had to say. Well, Lord Ian Duncan had a very strong reaction to it, essentially. He has been a critic of Boris Johnson for a while, and he essentially said that when it comes to picking the next leader, he will not be able to back anyone who served in the cabinet until essentially the weekend. So anyone who essentially backed Boris Johnson right up until this and I think that's fascinating because it may reflect wider opinion in the country. There is this sense among some that once Boris Johnson has left office, the Tories may be able to recover. Once they've gotten a new leader who has a new message, they may be able to just try and move past this. And some reluctant voters 
may move back to the Conservative Party. However, a lot of these senior ministers who have been around Boris Johnson for a while are going to be perhaps be seen as tainted by this. And it was fascinating to hear Lord Duncan's reaction to that and the sense that he is more keen on an outsider candidate. So someone who is perhaps prominent within the party, but who has remained distanced from Boris Johnson. Obviously, we had reaction from SNP politicians as well. They were naturally delighted that he's gone. However, they will obviously want to press the case that Boris Johnson is representative of the Conservative Party as a whole for the, as they try to boost the case for independence. So they are naturally going to want to associate anyone who takes over with Boris Johnson and they will want to kind of portray it as a continuation of the, the same regime. Pete Wishart in particular obviously had a very, very strong reaction. Boris Johnson wants to stay on as a caretaker. Pete Wishart referred to him as an undertaker. So for the SNP, this has been a very good chance for them to get in those digs and to essentially say that we were right all along. Boris Johnson is corrupt. Boris Johnson is unfit to hold this office. And finally, the Conservative Party has agreed. Pete Wishart's always good for a strong headline, eh? <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you... Is that going to be a problem that you know cabinet members are going to face now that if they are sticking by him until August, that's the kind of timeline that he's set out or we think he's going to set out. If they stick by him till August now, is it going to make it really, really difficult for them to then launch a leadership bid during that period? Is that going to hold them back, do you think, Justin? The difficulty will be, I suppose, they don't know how the Conservative membership are going to feel about this because remember, it's the Conservative membership who chooses the next Prime Minister. It's not the country as a whole. So in that regard, there may be some Conservative members who don't really mind. They perhaps just want Boris Johnson gone because they know he's an electoral liability. They may be willing to accept a candidate like Rishi Sunak or like Priti Patel if either of them throw their hat into the ring. If they feel that their policies and their approach to governance is ideal. But it definitely could be difficult. I mean, these are figures who have been by Boris Johnson's side the whole time. They backed him up through the Partygate scandal. In the case of Rishi Sunak, he was, of course, also fined over the Partygate scandal. So this is not necessarily just about Boris Johnson. But I suppose sometimes memories are short. And if a candidate is able to stake out a campaign, that allows him to distance himself from Boris. We, we saw that with Javid the other day, who obviously just was one of the people who resigned alongside Sunak. He stepped down as the health secretary. And his speech in Parliament on, I believe it was Wednesday, very much felt like an attempt to distance himself from Boris Johnson to say, I gave the Prime Minister Prime Minister the benefit of the doubt. I was wrong. I now essentially have nothing to do with this man. And that was obviously a second resignation from the Cabinet. He resigned as Chancellor a couple of years ago before lockdown. So we are seeing already attempts from ministers to distance himself from the Prime Minister. Whether that will work or not, it's hard to tell. Yeah, that was a fascinating speech from Sajid Javid. I think any time a politician, uh, certainly a senior politician, starts telling you about all their background and their values and sort of almost trying to reset their story, it does kind of hint that they could be looking at doing that sort of leadership bid. Um, Sean, we're talking there about a leadership election. If Boris Johnson has his own way, uh, that is exactly how the next Prime Minister will be chosen, by Conservative MPs or by party members, if they're not able to agree amongst themselves. We've just heard some breaking news that, that Keir Starmer has been cleared over the so-called beer gate situation. Um, we don't have a presidential system in the UK, but I know some people will look at that and wonder whether whoever comes in next really needs a fresh mandate to lead, if that needs to go back to the people. Um, what, what do you make of that? I mean, is it fair, do you think, to, to have a sort of leadership election or should we be heading for a general election now? I think 
in these circumstances, which have been pretty exceptional under Boris Johnson, if you look at the the rot inside that um, cabinet has been coming for a long time. This wasn't the Chris Pincher scandal wasn't the the first we've had Partygate, but you've I mean there's been stories about Boris Johnson since pretty much the day he got elected. There was uh, way back to Owen Patterson. You had um, Jennifer and, and Curry. Uh, even uh, Carrie Simmons, the job that he tried to get her, now his wife, um, when he was his mistress, it's, it's been scandal after scandal. So usually you might say, well, the way we're set up, you you would just go back to the, you know, the Conservative Party was elected in a general election. It isn't a, prime, uh, isn't a presidential sort of way of electing it. But I think the the way that the Conservative Party as a, as a whole have ignored uh, the problems with Boris Johnson's time in office, that maybe it is time to ask the public, is this the group of people you still want to run the country? It's people that have stood by and and, and watched this happen or let this happen under their watch. Even people like you've got Zahawi, who's now the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Will he stay in that post under a new uh, leader? Who knows? But I mean, he handed in a resignation letter that wasn't even a resignation letter. He just said, "Go," but I'm going to stay on as Chancellor of the Exchequer a day after accepting the job. There's just so much up in the air about. Is there enough keeping this Conservative Party together to, to run a country right now? I'm not sure there is. Lindsay, what do you make of that? I mean, obviously the Conservatives won this huge mandate at the last at the last election, you know, a huge majority. Could the country face another election? What, what would be your position on it? I think we need another election. I think that one of the issues we've had in British politics for a while is that where we base it so much on personality, the one man up front personality or the one woman up front. We've seen that when it was Jeremy Corbyn. And so everything was geared to, to discrediting him or, or making it not about him. And we've done the same with Boris. It's all been about bumbling Boris. It's all been, you know, some of the front pages today Clownfall, um, bringing—it's all—it's all been about Boris. It's not been about the party. And so, when you have the one man up front who has just been an absolute disaster and who hasn't been trusted, and as Sean said, the party's full of rot, then how? How can we how can we do anything other than reset and just say like who, who do the people want? What do the people want? Is it the same party but with a different leader, or is it that we want a, a whole change of politics now? Um, so for me, general election, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, I mean, I think if you look at some of the people we've had as being those sort of senior senior figures, some of the ones that you have mentioned, there's not been a huge amount of discussion around policy. I mean, if you were to ask. What does Keir Starmer really stand for? Like, what 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 is he looking to do as Labour leader to really address the big problems, cost of living, housing? What what's he going to do about that? I'm not sure there's a really clear idea. And and Boris Johnson had the same problem. You know, we we talk about obviously get Brexit done. That was a big message that he came in with to get him elected. You could argue that he hasn't. You know, he's got Brexit done to some extent, I suppose, but he's now p- unpicking his own deal and and doesn't. There's certainly no conclusion to that or or really clear way forward on that at the moment as he's leaving. Um, you know, there's leveling up. I know that was a big part of his sort of agenda, but that's had mixed results. I mean, I think if you went to different parts of the country, they would tell you different things about how successful that's been. So maybe that's what we need to kind of get back to: move away from personalities and move towards that kind of sort of policy conversation. Um, our, our team had a chat this week as well with some kind of leading polling and politics experts in Scotland about Boris Johnson's departure and how that could impact on Nicola Sturgeon's plan for independence. Justin, you spoke to Professor James Mitchell. Um, can you just talk us through what he had to say and what, and what his arguments were? 
So Professor James Mitchell suggested that Boris Johnson going could actually be quite damaging for the pro-independence movement. He described Boris Johnson as a recruiting sergeant for independence, which makes sense. Boris Johnson is widely disliked in Scotland. I mean, all Conservative Prime Ministers are generally quite disliked in Scotland. However, his unpopularity has been kind of unique. He's always been seen as a bit of a dent on the party in Scotland. Even some senior Tories have admitted that. Following Partygate, Douglas Ross largely blamed Boris Johnson for the results of the council elections back in May when the Conservatives struggled. So I suppose there's a sense for some, including for Professor James Mitchell, that with Boris Johnson going, the SNP will no longer essentially have their, their bogeyman, the, the kind of main figure who can drive support for independence. Because if you're undecided in independence and you dislike Boris Johnson, it's perhaps going to drive you more to the pro-independence camp. But I suppose in that regard, as we discussed earlier on, we don't know who Boris Johnson's replacement is going to be yet. It could also end up being someone who is widely disliked in Scotland. There is a decent chance that's going to be the case. And it's sometimes hard to tell how much that will influence people, I suppose. With independence, people will vote on a number of things, you know, in the economy, on whether they think it's, you know, something that they, they just personally want, I suppose, from a kind of personal point of view. So I suppose it doesn't just come down to Boris Johnson. However, there's no doubt that he's been very convenient for the SNP as they push for independence. I was really interested in one of the things he said. He, he spoke about how Boris Johnson going could invalidate this this plan from the SNP to hold the next general election as a de facto referendum because everyone else is going to be fighting it based on who's going to run the rest of the UK or the whole of the UK. Um, but for me, I mean, that's I didn't I wasn't quite sure in that because isn't that every general election? No, that's every election is to decide who's going to run the UK. What, what did you make of that, Justin? That that argument. It's interesting, obviously James Mitchell last week described Nicola Sturgeon's referendum plan in terms of the plan C, I suppose you could call it, of turning a general election into a fight for independence. He described that as essentially nonsense, it's not valid, it's not real. Obviously the issue for the SNP is that if even if they try to fight an election on that, you have a situation where Labour and the Tories can potentially just say no if they come in and get a majority. They don't have to give the SNP a referendum if they hold power. I suppose what Professor Mitchell is getting at in a way is that with Boris Johnson going and with Labour polling quite well, Labour are going to stand a strong chance in the next election. Obviously, Keir Starmer is now going to be the man fighting that election. He has gotten through Beergate, so barring some major scandal down the line, he will be the leader. If the new Conservative leader can't rally the forces, it does look like there's a decent chance we may have a new Prime Minister. Now, that would be the first time we've had a Labour Prime Minister or essentially a change of party in government for well, by the time it comes and say whether it be this year or in 2024, in well over 10 years. So I think narratively, the focus of an election could very much come to this idea that Labour are going to unseat the Conservatives. And if that is the focus of the election, the SNP may find it difficult to cut through. What will be interesting in Scotland will be how that impacts Scottish Labour's vote. While Labour are maybe likely to overtake the Conservatives again in Scotland, there is no guarantee that they're going to get anywhere near the SNP, even if Keir Starmer comes into power. The SNP have a very, very strong support base in Scotland. They have for a long time now. That doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Obviously, the issue for Nicola Sturgeon is that if she wants to fight an election on independence, she needs the pro-independence parties to hit 50% of the vote. The SNP could win almost every seat in Scotland and still not do that. So if Labour can even recover back 3 or 4% from the SNP, that could very much scupper this kind of referendum 
election type plan that the SNP have. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, suddenly I wondered previously if you would see some of the sort of pro-independence Labour voters would be willing to kind of hold their nose and vote SNP if they really want independence. But now there's something, you know, now it looks pretty clear that you're going to have a Prime Minister coming in who's not going to have that same kind of power of the cult of personality of Boris Johnson going against Keir Starmer. Um, there might be more of an incentive, perhaps, for, for Labour voters to still stick with Labour and, and, and push forward with that. I suppose we're going to have to wait and see how that turns out. I mean, I, I spoke to polling expert, uh, Professor Sir John Curtis, who listeners will know as a, a previous guest in this show. And our colleague Adele spoke to Professor Michael Keating. Um, I think it would be fair to say they had a slightly different view um, they argue that Boris Johnson, as a personality, doesn't really matter. That it's far more about that, you know, about policy. Going back to what we were just saying, and in, in particular, it's about the policy of Brexit. Um, so they don't really believe his resignation will have much of an impact on support for independence at all. Which is, I think, probably different from what I was expecting them to say when when we first spoke to them. Sean, what do you think of that? I mean, I'll not ask you to put your cars on the table in terms of Scottish independence but do you think it might change how you'd think about voting or about how others would? I would say that most people I think would be not deciding their vote on the future of Scotland based on who the leader of the Conservative Party is I think that should just, I think if you are it's, you're not making it for the right decision <laughs> whichever way you want to go for it I think the, overall I think Keir Starmer the, the rise of Labour might be interesting because I'm not sure how popular Keir Starmer is overall in his own party he's when you talk talk about like a, a cult of personality, he certainly seems to miss that within that. He seems to certainly the left the left wing of his of his own party aren't really convinced by his own leadership. So there's already division in there. So I think you might not see the rise of Labour again in Scotland um, to kind of overtake what the, the SNP are trying to do. Yeah, the experts have hit the nail on the head there, though I think it comes back to Brexit. The Tories might yet again just elect. I think it's uh, Braverman. Looks like she's going to try and position herself as the, you know, the, the Brexit choice. So if she gets the Brexit party, a part of the Tory party behind her, then we're going down that issue again, which is obviously Scotland voted massively against Brexit. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't see the Boris Johnson leaving uh, being the deciding factor in people's votes. But I do think that possibly who his replacement is. If it's again another uh, Brexiteer, it might help actually the the SNP's cause. What about you, Lindsay? I mean, how big a factor do you think personality plays? You know, who's in number ten? Their personality. How big an impact does that have? Do you think? It's interesting for me because I've I've recently moved back to Scotland, so I've been in England for twenty years, listening to the the narrative from south of the border, and then I've come back home where I'm from a nationalist, split nationalist and Labour family. And um, I think there's always been a bit of a narrative of um, Westminster being the bogeyman and um, the, the worse that personality can be or the, the worse the politics can be at that point, it's always played into the favour of the SNP. But actually, we've never had a general election or a situation at the back of a pandemic before. So we've never had a whole nation that is tired, a whole nation that is um, facing a cost of living crisis all at one time. Um, sometimes that was just Scotland um, as opposed to England, but we're all in this, this maybe not the same boat, but the same storm. And I think people will now, well, for me, I'm looking for somebody who will present a vision of hope for the future, whether that's for Scotland or Britain. That is not just what we're against constantly and who we're against constantly and how bad the opposition is. I just want to see what what can you do for me and my family? What can you do for my country? What can you do for 
for everybody that's facing this and stop just going on and on and on about how bad everybody else is. Just just a point, yeah, kind of touching Sean's point about Sir Starmer, do you think he's doing a good enough job of that right now? I mean, we, we don't know yet who's going to come in for the Conservatives, so it's, it's, it's a tricky question because you know, we'll evaluate that at the time, but we have seen the track record of, of Keir Starmer. Do you think he's done enough to, to build that kind of hopeful message, do you think? No, I, no, I don't. Um, I, I don't. I'm not particularly against Keir Starmer at all. Um, but I, I think what we saw with Jeremy Corbyn was there was a generation looking to be inspired and moved. Actually, a movement again, and um, th- there really hasn't been that. It's been a lot for me. It's been a long time since we've seen the kind of boots on the ground um, politics movements really. And um, I, I don't see. I, I agree with Sean. I think even within the Labour Party and the Labour Party faithful. Um, they're not all that in favour of Keir Starmer. There's a lot of favour for him, and he's, you know, he's 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 doing a, a decent job probably in the face of everything that's going on at the moment. But I don't I don't see him being able to even array a, a message of hope that will get the boots on the ground again behind the Labour Party. Justin, how do you think Nicola Sturgeon will play this one? So when I when I spoke to John Curtis, he suggested that she might say to to voters, "Do you really want to be?" kind of beholden or ruled by this group who uh, you've just watched our government collapse. Um, do you think she'll go for that kind of tact or what, what do you think she'll do? Well, yes, I definitely think she will want to feed into that narrative of chaos almost. I mean, obviously the Conservative Party members, as we have said, picked the next leader. However, due to what's happened over the past 10 years or so, since or since Brexit, I suppose, over the past six years or so, this is going to be the third consecutive Prime Minister in a row who has not essentially been picked by the electorate at the time when they have become Prime Minister. Now, I don't think that's happened since back to about the 1960s. I believe the early 1960s is the last time when that was the case. And Scotland doesn't vote Conservative anyway. But because the Conservatives necessarily don't necessarily do as well in Scotland, you have a situation where the Prime Minister has not really been picked by a lot of Scottish people at all. Obviously, you know, Boris Johnson did go and win an election, so he did get that mandate, as he called it, later on. However, there is a sense that whenever a Prime Minister is picked, Scotland does not have much of a say in that at all. And Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP as a whole have always been very keen to link Boris Johnson to the wider Conservative Party. I suppose back in the day, one of the warnings in 2014 was that someone like Boris Johnson could become Prime Minister further down the line if Scotland voted no. That did come to fruition. And there is this sense that he has very much moulded the Conservative Party into a party which reflects some of his views. You know, he's surrounded himself with people who believe very similar things to him. The more pro-remain, I suppose, the more moderate camps in the party were largely phased out in 2019. You know, you think figures like Ken Clark and Philip Hammond, who were sort of deselected and then stood down later on. So Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP were very much going to want to portray the Conservative Party as something that goes beyond Boris Johnson. And obviously another key aspect of the SNP's message is that Keir Starmer and Labour aren't necessarily speaking out against Brexit now. Keir Starmer has obviously calculated that Labour kind of need to accept what's happened with Brexit. They need to try and make the best of it. However, the SNP in Scotland obviously continue to argue that Scotland was taken out of the EU against its will. That wasn't our choice. That, is, I suppose, is their big kind of golden argument for why we should have another referendum. So Nicola Sturgeon will want to kind of, I suppose, attack the whole Westminster system and the two big parties, and and indeed, I suppose, Liberal Democrats as well, 
and want to argue that none of them speak for Scotland, essentially. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's one we're going to come back to again and again over the summer, I'm sure. Uh, but I think for now, that's probably about all we have time for this week. So just time to say thank you to Justin, Lindsay and Sean, and of course you for listening. Uh, if you're desperate for more Boris Johnson content, and, and why wouldn't you be, uh, why not check out our quiz looking at the Prime Minister's most infamous moments from an earlier episode. Uh, we'll be back later this year, but keep an eye out for more special episodes coming your way. Until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands, so that you can be better briefed. The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster and our communities so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.